Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the ancestors. I'd like to call in all of those who have gone before us, those who walked this earth walk and experienced great beauty and horrible tragedy. As the lands shifted, the sky fell, and all the crazy things happened as human beings living here out in nature. We call out to those ancestors who found a way to survive and to thrive by living in relationship with the natural world, by connecting to the spirit energies there and learning from them how to be in this world in a good way. So I call out to these ancestors who exist in all of our family lines to be with us here today to hold us well, that we might learn from those who have gone before us, that we might learn from their mistakes, and that we may advance and use our creativity to bring the dreaming forward. We call out to the energy of the earth below. We thank this most ancient ancestor for the beauty of our home, this home that the whole family of humanity shares. We give thanks to the earth for place, for belonging, for connection, for connectedness to others, for connectedness to our environment, to the spirit world, and for all of the things that help us to know in those great moments of our life, oneness with all things. We give thanks to the earth for this home and the miracle of life that we all share. And we raise our energy up through our body, through out through the top of our head, through the sky, all the way out into the cosmos to call out to the energy of the sky above. And by whatever name you call the highest power of the universe, call that energy down into our proceedings here today, whether you are listening at this time Or at any time you choose to download this show and listen, let this divine presence be with you. Let this energy fill our circle here today, bringing us protection and blessing, bringing us generosity and the benevolence of our universe. And may the earth and the sky come together in our circle that we might be held by the alchemy of life and the great beauty of this eternal love story between the sky and the earth and all the life as we know it that emerges from that big love. So we give thanks to all of these energies for being with us here today and call out to each human present and those humans who will be present, the energy of the heart. We call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today because of its unique capacity to blend the fiery passions of the belly with the clarity and discipline of the mind to bring these energies together that we might discover our own true purpose and live that, bringing those gifts to the world. So we call out to these energies to gather around us here today to hold us that what needs to be said might be said and what needs to be heard might be heard. May these proceedings be good for all life in all forms. And I welcome uh, to our show here today our first guest at Co-Creator Network. Our first guest today is Tom Cowan. Welcome, Tom. Hi, thanks. It's good to be here. Oh, it's such a blessing. Before we go any further, though, I was remiss last week, and I don't want to make this mistake again this week. I need to offer profound gratitude to the members of my student community whose generous donations make this show possible. For without their financial contribution, 
we would not be here today. So I have great thanks to those people and their generous hearts. And just want to be sure to give thanks because last week I was so excited with the first show I forgot. So in deep gratitude to these people that allow us to be here today. So Tom, Mm -hmm. um, I want to introduce you to everyone. So Tom is one of, I think, America's most beloved teachers of shamanic things. And he gets very shy and embarrassed when I say that. But I truly in my heart believe that this is true. He is a shamanic practitioner of Celtic um, visionary and healing techniques primarily, but not exclusively. He is internationally renowned as a teacher and an author and a lecturer and a tour leader. He has numerous books. One of my favorites is Shamanism as a Spiritual Practice for Daily Life. And for those of you who email me all the time asking, how do I do this and how do I make this work in my daily life? Please just go buy Tom's book. (laughs) It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And for all of this information about Tom, you can find it on his um, website, which is riverdrum.com. Riverdrum.com. So the books and what Tom is teaching right now, everything is there. Now, we have invited Tom here today uh, in particular as his role as a founding member of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. And he's joining us here today to talk about self-in-service, which is the title of the Society of Shamanic Practitioners 7th Annual Conference, which is coming up in, I can't remember. It's in June. June. Sorry about that. <laughs> It'll be June 3rd to June 6th out in Santa Cruz, California. And is, I assume there's still room for registration? Yes, there is. We don't have okay. a, a full house yet, but it's getting close. But Great. there's still All room, right. yes. So for those of you who want to join the Society of Shamanic Practitioners in June in lovely Santa Cruz um, County, uh, it is very easy to register. Their uh, website is Shaman Society. ShamanSociety.org, and you'll open right up to the homepage, and it's all about the conference, and you can register right there. It's very simple. Yeah, and Um, I might add, you don't have to be a member of the society to come to the conference. The conference is open to anyone who wants to come. Wonderful. Um, Do you even need to learn know how to journey to go? Can you just go? Um, well, we're, I guess you could just go, yes. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of just laughing here because we, we think everyone who comes is going to be a shamanic practitioner, whether you belong to our organization or not. But I would say even if you don't know how to journey, still come, yes, and you'll learn maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, Tom, thank you again for joining me here today. And before we get on to the SSP conference, let's talk a little bit about you and how you got from being a regular guy um, to the man that you are today, <laughs> practicing ancient medicine techniques and and coercing others to do so too. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I have to think about whether I was ever a regular guy. <laughs> but you know, you um, you alerted me to this question a few days ago, so I've been thinking about it. And um, I think you said, what, "What are some of the turning points that in my life that have brought me to wherever I am today?" And as I was thinking back, uh, it, it dawned on me, I was also thinking in terms of the conference, of course, and the idea of the self in service. And I think a real turning point, or certainly an influence on my life uh, as a young regular guy, was in high school and college where I was educated by the Jesuits. Because the Jesuit ideal has always been contemplation in action. And it's the idea that every man and woman should have uh, to lead a really uh, meaningful life, 
should have these two prongs. You should have a contemplative side where you pray and meditate and spend time alone and, and be in touch with the, the spirit world. But not to do that behind a cloistered wall. Take it out into the world and put it into action. And I can't say I've you know, lived up to these two ideals, contemplation in action all my life, but it's always been hovering there over, over me in some way as, as the ideal I should be living. And that really is what the conference is about when we get more to talking about it, is how to take our shamanic practice, which is the, maybe the contemplative side, and take it out into the world where there's um, great need for it. So that would be one thing. And then I guess the second thing I would have to say is meeting Michael Harner back in 1983. If I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't be practicing shamanism today, certainly not the way I do. And it was almost like the spirits were uh, taking care of me back then, because a week I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and Michael gave a uh, weekend workshop in Manhattan. And a few days after it, I thought, wow, this is great. This is exactly what I've been looking for. And I thought, but now what do I do? And almost within days, I discovered a group of people in my neighborhood in Brooklyn who had a drumming circle that met every week. And they were looking for members. <laughs> and they had <laughs> so been I there all along and you just never noticed them? I, right, right. Well, I never <laughs> knew about shamanism much uh, until I took the workshop. And uh, there they were. And uh, so I ended up in a weekly drumming circle immediately. And then I think one more thing I want to say here is a kind of turning point. A few years after that, I guess in the middle 80s or so, I met a Cherokee medicine man named Hawk Littlejohn. And he lived in North Carolina, but he came up to the New York area to do teaching and conduct sweat lodges and, and whatnot. And so I went to his his uh, weekends and gatherings, and then he invited a few of us to come down, not a few, but some of us, to come down to his farm in North Carolina during the summer solstice and spend a, a week fasting and doing sweat lodges and ceremonies. And I really learned a lot. I think it's a turning point because... Um, this was the first time I really sat with an indigenous person and and listened to them talk and tell stories and and it really has influenced my sense of who I am as a shaman. But at the same time, what I learned from him, although he didn't know he was teaching me this, <laughs> is that I'm not a Cherokee and I have no Native American blood and so I wasn't going to continue trying to practice shamanism in a Native American way. And that was a real turning point in terms of starting to look back into my European past and my Celtic past to um, forms of shamanism that were there in Europe. And some survived, some didn't, some got uh, uh, reshaped into other things. But there have always been strong shamanic traditions in Europe. You just have to hunt for them. And I was um, in college at graduate school. I was educated as an historian. So the idea of poking around in the past and looking for older ways of, of uh, you know, being spiritual and being a healer and uh, doing sacred work in Europe, that, that, that came easily to me, and I enjoyed it. So that put me on the path of uh, teaching Celtic shamanism. So here I am. Yeah. <laughs> no longer well, this regular you're guy. You're <laughs> known, known for that. But um, is there, are there any sort of new things that are coming up on the horizon that you're really excited about right now in your own practice? Um, in my own practice, 
or uh, your own te- teachings too. Like I noticed um, a men's gathering. Um, I was just going to say that it, it's not new. Yeah. This is the uh, fifth uh, year we've done it. But yes, we're really looking forward to that, and uh, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. And we're, we meet here in the Hudson River Valley in New York State. And this year we're and we meet at a park on the river. But this year we're actually going down about ten, fifteen miles south to do our work right across from West Point. And the theme this year is uh, war and the shaman. Mm. And we want to really look at how should we as shamanic practitioners, what should we be doing during a time when our country is fighting two wars and involved in other military conflicts around the world? Yeah. And what does that mean? So I've um, um, done a lot of shows with Ed Tick, who's looking at the, the healing yeah. side of that. But it it is... a uh, a classic role of the shaman to participate in in this experience, this human experience, which is largely left out of contemporary shamanism, I think, yeah, at least it, in America. It, it really is. And we're actually using Ed Tick's pamphlet. He, you know, he, his book called War in the Soul is excellent, and I recommend it to anybody who's interested in this topic of uh, particularly how to help returning vets with PTSD. But he has a little pamphlet uh, called Wild Beasts and Wandering Souls. And it's specifically about shamanism and war and the warrior. And we're using this book. It's only a 30-page book, uh, but I've sent it out to all the guys who are coming to the men's weekend and uh, to read ahead of time. So it's going to be a really powerful weekend, I believe. That's very exciting and I think very important. And in some ways similar to the Society of Practitioners Conference this year, timely. I mean, mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you have to respond to reality. Yeah, <laughs> it is, right. It's, it's, the, it's the action part of contemplation and action. Exactly. You know, I think so, a lot of us, uh, I mean, not everybody maybe is, is called to uh, to lead a real, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I think maybe everybody should be called to leading a life of service to others. But I think a lot of us sort of hide behind our drums, you know, mm-hmm. we we stay home and we drum, and we're doing good spiritual work, and it's a spiritual discipline that is meaningful for us, and it enriches our lives, and hopefully the lives of our families and friends. But there's that other side, you know, contemplation and action. Take that out into the world and go to the places where there's suffering and where there's need, and see what you can do, how you can tend these places that uh, have great suffering. Yeah, my my sense is that as as these practices are reemerging, and like you said, they're good practices. It's a good personal practice that well, there's no criticism implied here. But we're still learning about the true responsibility we have to be in relationship with um, the world around us. And we, mm-hmm. we, I think, we have a certain naivete and ignorance around that still. That there is an accountability and a responsibility when you are in energetic and spiritual, spiritually intimate relationships with things. And what, for example, Ed talks about how we must understand as the living, we have a relationship with the dead. We don't get to choose to have it or not. It is. <laughs> That's right. right. So we have to respond to it. And similarly, I think. That whole thing of coming out from behind the drum is there are these other layers of relationship we need we need to learn how to be accountable to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a continuing uh, learning experience. You know, I think we're no no matter how long we've been practicing shamanism or how old we get to be, 
we're going to be learning how to do this, you know, the rest of our lives. And maybe even after we pass on, we're still going to be yeah. learning how to do it. So it's, it's a, we're never there. We're, we're always uh, on the journey. I know. I feel like I, the more I learn, the more I just realize how much I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so what is the Society of Practitioners, or what we will now start calling SSP, because it's too hard to say fast. Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> um, SSP is much easier to say. Yeah. It's, it's, a shamanic, it's a society for shamanic practitioners. And it, it, the idea originated about 2003, I believe. And it grew out of a series of workshops that uh, Sandy Ingerman and Alan Davis and Cecile Carson and a few others were holding called uh, Shamanism and Medicine. Alan Davis and Cecile and Greg Miller are medical doctors. And so under the guidance of of Sandy Ingerman, there were conferences held in Santa um, Santa Fe on this topic, and I think it was during those conferences that people started saying, "Well, you know, there are other professional people out there using shamanism in their in their work too. There are teachers and social workers, and and so on and so forth. Maybe we should have conferences or an organization for anyone who considers him or herself a shamanic practitioner and trying to integrate it into their professional lives. So that's where the idea originated. And so in a way, the shamanism and medicine conferences morphed into a broader umbrella concept of uh, society for shamanic practitioners. So we're an organization that tries to support people who are practicing shamanism, whatever form that is. We're not, we don't advocate or teach any particular form of shamanism. In fact, we don't teach shamanism. Uh, There's been a misunderstanding that we're trying to do what the Foundation for Shamanic Studies does, but uh, that's a misunderstanding because we don't offer workshops and we're not training people. We are passing on shamanic knowledge, we hope, and we're uh, stimulating people to learn more, but we're not a teaching organization. We're really there just to have a, a place for people to share their experiences and to learn from each other and to move shamanism out into the world. Uh, our little um, logo is that we are people deeply committed to the reemergence of shamanic practice in the modern world to create healthy people and healthy communities. And so we have, uh, I think, about 100, I mean, 850 members. I know it's over 800 in 16 countries. And uh, we've had a conference every year. This is the seventh here in the United States. And in the UK, they've had now, I believe, three conferences or four, and um, we put out and a last journal. Last year, they had one in Canada, and they had one in Canada last year too. Yes, yeah. that's right. Which uh-huh. was excellent, by the way. <laughs> that's why you were there. I was there, and it was really um, incredible. I was. I was. Um, they managed to tap the true essence energies, in particular, of the fire. And partially, I think, because of the land up there. But they really um, hooked people into what I believe it felt like to do shamanism, you know, a really long time ago. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. and, and it was very powerful for me because yeah. of that. I, I had a great time. I think it's, um, you know, we have great colleagues. I mean, it's beautiful that this is an international organization. I yeah, think. yeah. 
Isn't so, that in- yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No. I was just going to say, you're on the board, so obviously something drew you um, to serve. You've been central in the actual physical manifestation of, I think, every conference. Yeah, um, I have been. I've gone to all of them and done things at them, even a couple in the uh, in the U.K., well, why am I in the society? I was asked. Uh, Alan Davis just called me uh, up and said, um, you know, you're active, you're out there, you've been practicing mm-hmm. shamanism, you know, do you want to be on the board? And yeah. I said yes, you know. So um, that's But you do give of... a lot of time and energy and a lot at the conferences. I mean, you're not kind of just there. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you know, you're very central to the actual movement and manifestation of the conference. So there must be some potential that you see in the SSP that matters to you. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, I really do uh, relate to, you know, our our slogan there, that we are people committed to the reemergence of shamanism. You know, I keep wondering who I would be. It's funny you ask me, you know, how did I become what I became? And I I often like to fantasize, who would I be (laughs) if... You know, if, you know, if I had different parents, if I was born in a different country, blah, blah, blah. But I often wonder, you know, who would I be today if I hadn't discovered shamanism uh, back in 1983? And I I really can't imagine myself. And I guess it's become such a part of my identity that um, I really do feel strongly that the society, the SSP, is doing good work. And, uh, you know, I want to support it and be part of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I was going to cut you off on before was when you made this, the comment about the feeling in Canada at the conference up there was that you were doing shamanism in a very old way. And I just wanted to say, isn't that interesting, though? Why? I think all of us are sort of mesmerized by that, aren't we? That we love the old ways, and in some ways we want to, I don't want to say go back and live in those days. Probably none of us could do that. But... There is something that really makes us tingle when we feel we're doing something like it was done 30,000 years ago. Yeah. And I I think that's an indication that we're on the right track because mm-hmm. I, I really, again, maybe it's my background in history, but I just don't feel we should forget what's happened in the past. As you were saying in the, about the ancestors yeah. uh, and even in your calling in the directions and honoring the ancestors, they're with us, whether we mm-hmm. like it or not. And <laughs> the old ways have wisdom. And I uh, really, I think one of the things that excited me about shamanism back in Brooklyn there in the 80s was that I was doing something that was old and ancient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and sitting in a circle with Hawk Littlejohn down there in North Carolina, uh, I felt, you know, this is... This is where we we should be. We should be reminding ourselves that our ancestors did this and continue to do it, pass it on. Well, and what I like, love about your story actually is in that you had enough, um, I don't know, internal integrity to to sense these these aren't my ancestors, and I have them, and they did this. So why don't I go find out how that looked? You know how that. And and that recognition that we all, every single person on the planet has this in their ancestry. So, like you said, some of us just have to dig a little deeper. Yeah. But it's there. It is. It is there. You know, we yeah. truly share this as a human family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
self in service. So let us talk about the SSP conference. Okay. So this year, um, so how did y'all get to this topic for this year? Well, it's interesting. This topic has been floating around at some of our board meetings for uh, several years. The, the idea of uh, shamanism without borders. That, that's the way we usually phrased it. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, there's doctors without borders and nurses without borders. And it seems like every time I turn around, there's another group now that is without borders. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I, it's a sign of our times that we are living in a world that gets globalized more and more every day. And some of us, if not all of us, but some of us at least should be addressing broader global issues. And I sent out an email uh, to members in the SSP a couple days ago trying to clarify a few things about the conference and what we're going to do. And as I was writing it, I I recalled, uh, to answer your question, where did this idea come from? I think September 11th in 2001 is kind of a moment when a lot of people started thinking more globally than they had. I was teaching in Switzerland, up in the Alps, on that day, and it, it was it was one of those beautiful Swiss days. I, here it was a beautiful day here in New York too. Uh, September, warm, sunny, and when we broke for dinner in the late afternoon, it was of course late morning in New York and Washington, and and so we heard the news and we went to the, the TVs and we watched and horrified like everybody around the world was experiencing that. And it, almost instantly, instinctively, we knew what we were going to do in the evening session, and that was go to New York and, and do some work shamanically. And the irony, or not the irony, but the, the spirits working sort of behind our backs, we had spent all day without knowing it, uh, getting ready to do some intense healing work in the evening. It was part of my my program in Celtic shamanism. And it's a healing technique I call the beheading game, which is too involved to explain on the, on the radio here, but we were, it takes all day to get ready to do it. And then I always have us do it in the evening after dinner as an evening ceremony. So we were getting ready all day to do this and it can be done for suffering anywhere. And it was almost like we didn't have to think of what, of how we would apply it and why we would do it after dinner. So we went to New York, and I think that that uh, incident really made, and a lot of people, we were not the only ones, but it, to me it was just amazing. Here are Central European shamanic practitioners in, in the Swiss Alps, <laughs> where it's peaceful and quiet, uh, going to New York in the evening to help alleviate suffering. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of other people did, too, all over the country and the world. So this idea has been around for a while. We keep thinking, what would it look like? What would it mean if we could somehow put together some guidelines or or, or a model or uh, even just talk about some of the issues of what are the ethical issues of going into a disaster area, e- either physically or just remotely, either one, um, as a shamanic practitioner. And after Hurricane Katrina hit the New Orleans area, I know a couple people personally, shamanic practitioners, who went down there. Uh, one went down with the Red Cross. She had some skill that uh, she qualified to go with the Red Cross team from Connecticut. But she did shamanic work down there as well. 
And another friend in Missouri has a dog, and she's a canine rescue worker. Her dog can find bodies. And so they went down, and she continued to do shamanic work down there as well, as well as find bodies. So, you know, this thinking about this is exciting, too. You know, what if, if there's a possibility to go physically into an area to provide some rescue help, what would we do as shamans? We would go with a different perspective than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another friend who's not a shamanic practitioner, but she's a very dear friend. She's a therapist. She also went down. She got uh, involved with the team that was going to go down and help not the people of New Orleans so much, but the rescue people, the responders who needed therapy, you know, because it was so devastating to be involved in that kind of work. So even the rescuers need rescuing. And she went down and did some tremendous work, too. But it was interesting, you know, as I talked to these different people, that when we, who are shamanic practitioners, go down, we really take a different perspective, and we walk differently, and we carry a different kind of energy or spirit. So... Well, and in in and in in physical disaster, it it seems for most people so obvious that you need to physically help. Yeah, and and it's very easy in that moment to disconnect from the, the shamanic understanding that the source of all things is in spirit, and that yeah. somebody needs to go check what's going on there. You know, That's someone right. needs to tend the invisible world. Yes. You know, there is a whole bunch of work to do here in the physical world, but everything is made easier here in the physical world by some people, at least, and particularly those skilled to do it, addressing what is going on in the in the spiritual world. Right. Or the energy and, world. Yeah. yeah. And you use the word that um, has become in the last week or two an important word for us that are uh, organizing the conference, and that's the word tending. You said, who, how do we tend the spirit mm-hmm. world? When we first started talking about this, uh, the, the word we used was healing. You know, how do we go into these places and do healing work? And that created a lot of misunderstanding and, and, and created some, I think, problems and issues that aren't necessarily aren't necessarily problems. If you think of yourself as going in to do extractions and soul retrievals, then you do have a certain set of questions to ask how to go about it, what's ethical, what if you're going into a different culture and you have different ideas than they do about the soul and what happens and all that kind of thing? But the word tending is the word that has uh, sort of emerged as we continue to think about the conference, that it's not just about going in and doing our basic shamanic healing work, extraction, soul retrieval, psychopomp, power animal retrieval. I mean, some of that might be done, but I think we can also just go in and be a presence there, be a... Be a tender to whatever kind of needs. May Stevens, who's uh, on our board and also one of the facilitators of the conference, uh, likes to talk about how in disaster, when disasters occur, certain energies and get unaligned or disaligned, or there's there's sort of like a, uh, a collision of different kinds of. Uh, forces or energies, and that sometimes just being there as, as, as a presence, uh, a peaceful presence or a presence who's in balance will help balance out those conflicting energies w- without you even knowing exactly how you're doing it. You know? mm-hmm. And I like mm-hmm. to think also of Sandy Ingerman's work about, I think she talks about feeding light into the darkness so mm-hmm. that 
the darkness is less dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, that needs to be done Every, everywhere. There's a, a disaster. There's chaos and confusion and darkness, and and somebody needs to be there to tend the light and to tend that darkness. So anyway, I'm glad you used that word because that's the word we're using uh, now. Tending. What is what kind of shamanic tending can we do when disaster occurs? Well, and and I think I think you addressed this in your email, but I think I you know heard you bring it up again, which is we need to take a step back and not necessarily dive into the disaster with assumptions. Right, that's right. It, I think every situation is going to have its own unique uh, uh, parameters that have to be addressed. I mean, we, we always go in with experience. It's not like we're going in cold and we don't know anything. We have to start from scratch. But I think we have to take our experience in with the understanding that it might not apply, or not all of it will apply, that we have to really see what's going on and diagnose the situation carefully and ask the spirits, you know, what do they need? What does the lands and the people and the animals and the elements here need? And is it something we can give? And how do we give it? How do we tend it? Yeah. Well, and I always like to jump in here because I start talking with these guests and we just start having this conversation between shamans and now nobody understands what we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, for example, you know, let's take... um, Katrina and New Orleans, what I would be asked to do in a neighborhood that is flooded, let's say, might be entirely different um, if if the area that was flooded actually was a graveyard. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it may be yeah. entirely different than the assumptions I would make if we didn't know it was a graveyard because it was, say, some ancestral burial ground that no one knew was even underneath whatever had been built there. Mm-hmm. So, That's right. Yeah. There's three different things I can think of right off the top of my head that are going to be a huge impact on what am I going to find in the invisible world to to begin to ask questions about. And, you know, and underwater, it's all going to look the same. That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a whole whole piece of um you know another example i can think of right off the bat is what if we go in we're talking to the animals the plants and the spirits of the land and they say well you know what we didn't like these buildings these people here anyway this is a part of the land that was never supposed to be settled well now what do we (laughs) i know that's right (laughs) hmm, you know where is our responsibility as shamanic practitioners who are supposed to be guiding the humans to honor all life Mm mm-hmm you know, it's, it's, um, we really have to be, um, open and I mean, to me, it's very similar, like dealing with someone who's in a coma. So you need to go speak with them in the spirit world. Cause of course they can't talk to you here in the physical world very directly. And mm-hmm. here I am with a person, the soul is saying, yeah, I was trying to get out of here and I didn't quite make it. Could you help me? But the whole family is hanging on and trying to pull that person back. Yeah. Right. How do you, as a practitioner, come back to the family who's brought you in to help, quote-unquote, and they have a very strong idea what help looks like, and you're saying, I'm sorry, but this person is trying to leave. Yeah. You know, so how do I help you all be okay with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and that's just without a disaster. I mean, other than the personal disaster involved in that. So just to try to make this, you know, real for people is, you know, these, the the land has its own energy, and one of the... For example, the whole practice of geomancy was about learning where do we place the people so that it's good for the people and everybody else. There is not an assumption that it's okay to put people everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and yeah. even animals will walk across certain areas that are certain ley lines in the land because it's not a healthy place for mammals, basically, to reside. Mm-hmm. And we stick yeah. houses on them all the time. Yeah. I know. So, and and human, humans just don't, uh, just don't even consider that most of the time. They just, you know, we'll, we'll build our houses and build our parking lots and pave, pave our streets just anywhere. Yeah, I mean, and originally you hired a stonemason because it was the medicine of that society that they laid the foundation of your home in harmony with the lines of the land so that not only would your home rest well on the land, but it would be protected. You know, Mm -hmm. they were were creating the fundamental warding or protection of your home. You know, we don't do any of this anymore. And so as we get into these disasters where things are in upheaval, all of a sudden – what we need to have done in the first place will come to play as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I always wondered too, I don't have an answer to this, but, and again, I think it's maybe a different answer for each situation, but to what extent is the earth trying to re- recorrect the situation yeah. by the disaster, by the earthquake or the flood or the fire or whatever it is? Yeah. Um, and what is the integrity for us as practitioners to be also the voice for the earth? Yeah, exactly. Or the animals, or the whatever. Yeah. The air. <laughs> the air and the I water mean, probably need a voice right now, too. That's right. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, obviously, we're not going to become like the uh, the fundamentalist uh, preachers who say, well, God is punishing all you folks for sinning. That's why he sent the earthquake, or that's why he sent the planes into the World Trade Towers. I mean, it's not that kind of punishment, but you you wonder if, if the Earth's my belief is that the earth has a great desire to create life and to bring forth life. And human beings have, we do too, but we also interfere with that life force and oftentimes make it more difficult for the earth to bring forth life. And so I wonder, you know, to what extent, not that we're being punished, but just that we have to be shaken up a bit or some things need to be destroyed so that the earth can continue to to do what she does, which is to sustain life. You know what I mean? Yes, and I, <laughs> I think part of what I saw in the encyclopedia, you know, reading culture after culture after culture, is really seeing that a traditional job of the shamanic practitioner was to help the humans understand how to live in balance with things. So yes. it's not so much that we're being punished, but that we understand, oh, these are the forces at play. This is what we may need to do, you know, with the guidance of spirit to bring to come into balance here because all life flourishes better. You know, mm-hmm. we will all flourish better if we can bring everything to balance. I think the challenge we have right now is one of the things we've seen in many indigenous cultures is that that it's hard for us to return to a life of balance because it needs a little more space than we've got now for all the people here, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> Somehow we'll figure this out. Yeah. But that has been a traditional role of the shaman is how do we as humans with our inc- incredible pa- capacity, like you said, to create and sometimes to create messes, you know, to, to clean this up and be in right relationship with things and, yeah. and thus all things will flourish. And, and what does that look like? And you've said this several times and I'm going to just, point it out again, because this is very contrary to medicine as most people know it in the allopathic form. Shamanism mm-hmm. is different situation by situation. 
That is its nature. It is question driven. It's, it's divination driven. We go to the spirits for the diagnosis. I could have five people come to me in a day, all with exactly the same symptoms, and I would not assume they have the same problem. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And so in these disasters, we need to not assume, especially because we're, we're going to be coming with a human bias. We can't mm-hmm. help it. Like, no, we, we can't we help can't, it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> survival is a strong, strong force. You know, we can't help that. But as shamanic practitioners, we have to be willing to listen to all the voices. Yeah. And, and, and to not bring assumptions just because it was this way over here that it's this way over there. Mm-hmm, right. I know I got an email this morning from a friend who's a shamanic practitioner, and she's stranded in Belgium right now because of the volcanic ash from the, the mm-hmm. volcano in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And she says it's like the movie Groundhog Day, you know, when they kept getting up with the same <laughs> day after day. I mean, been, she's been stranded there since the weekend. But she's, wow. you know, it's, her perspective as a shaman is, um, you know, what is going on? She said there's some abnormal wind pattern. Hmm. that is holding that ash over the most of Europe and even pushing it now towards the United States. So it's not a normal wind pattern. And hmm. the amount of ash that's hanging there sh- shouldn't be hanging there quite that long from our perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a, we can't, like you said, we can't shirk our, our human desires that, you know, we want to get home. We can only stay in Belgium all weekend, you know, for another two weeks or so. And, you know, and what is the earth saying? I mean, the earth clearly is saying don't fly for a while and and stop, Mm -hmm. slow down. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, Tom, let's talk a little bit about um, the structure of the workshop, kind of how how it has been. And kind of what worked about that, but also how this structure is going to be different because it is a it is a big change in the way past conferences have been set up. Yeah, it's an enormous change. When the board of directors met last December, we meet every year in December, and we were we knew at that time we wanted to do something different with the conference, and we actually did something with our board meeting that was different too. We practically just sat in a circle and drummed for the whole weekend. You know, we didn't get the financial report. We didn't get this report like we usually do. We, we really sat and journeyed and talked to spirit and and said, what can we do? And out of this came the idea that instead of having the usual pattern of a conference where you have some kind of plenary session in the morning with everybody at the at the session, and then you break into various classes and workshops for the rest of the day, and you choose which ones you want to go to. And you can't go to all of them because they are sometimes two or three at the same hour. And then you come together again in the evening for some kind of a uh, ceremony or ritual. That's been the pattern. And many of us feel, I don't know if it's just that we're getting burned out with it or, or what, but we just felt that this is old and we need something new. The pattern is still working well in England. The uh, The English conference of the SSP is doing very well with that pattern and it's strong and they get over 100 people at their at their conferences but we feel in America that uh, people are getting tired of that so what we wanted to do was to hold the group together and maybe it'll be a smaller group we were figuring because of the economy uh, being what it is and the fact that the conferences tend to be expensive we wouldn't get as many as we were getting seven years ago so if it's a smaller group, let's say 60 or so, um, which is, I think, what we're shooting for, we'd hold the group together and all do the same work, and we wouldn't break out into different kinds of classes with different teachers. And we would do work 
around this idea of shamanism without borders. And so being in Santa Cruz County, Carol Proudfoot lives there, and she's lived and practiced shamanism there for many, many years. She was born in that county. And uh, she said, well, you know, Santa Cruz County, and she's on the board of directors, she said Santa Cruz has had tremendous disasters over the years. There's even some kind of a little book called The the Ten Worst Disasters in Santa Cruz County that go back into the 1800s, I think. They've had earthquakes, they've had floods, they've had fires, they've had mudslides. There are certain areas of town that have high crime rate, and they think there's you know some kind of imbalance of energies there. So it's not like we can't find places that have had uh, disasters. And we wanted to focus mainly on natural disasters rather than human disasters like war and terrorism. So she and Susan Gilliland, who assists her in a lot of her work, they've been scouting out areas. And she came up with about 10 or 11 places in the county that we could go to and actually walk the land and be there where something has happened, even as much as the fire that just occurred, I think, last year. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this idea of shamanism without borders, and then I think we'll pick about maybe four or five sites, and we will break the group into teams, and each team will go to a site, a different site, and do some kind of shamanic tending there on uh, Friday. And then on Saturday, we'll uh, we'll sort of go back to those sites, but do some shamanic tending remotely from the retreat center. So it's going to be a combination of working on-site and working remotely and seeing what is the difference and how does it, how, how is, what different energies are in play with that. And... Uh, then that'll take us through Saturday, and then Sunday morning we want to f- look at the question of how do we maintain our own health in the face of doing disaster work? How do we maintain our own energies and our own strength? So we're going to focus on Sunday morning as in a kind of um, self-help way of, of keeping ourselves strong for this kind of work. So that's that's the way the... Um, uh, conference is going to be organized. And it's really exciting because, you know, people say, well, do, do you know what you're going to do at these sites? And the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, it's just like you and I have been talking. We don't know ahead of time until we get there. You know, thank goodness. But, we're actually going to do shamanism. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. In, in some cases, we have to, we're, we're talking with the people that own the land to see if they want us to come. And uh, they, I think they have said yes. Other places are like park areas where it's, you know, there's no question that we can't go on the land and walk the land. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some places where there's been disasters, but we can't really get right to it, but we can get near it. We can look at it and see it. So there's going to be a variety of different ways of encountering the sites physically and remotely. And I think we're going to learn a lot about how to go about this. The other thing, too, is that, you know, the four of us who are um, responsible for facilitating this weekend. It's not about us teaching our methods of doing healing work and and shamanic tending. It really is more of let's get these 60-some people together and share our ideas because we're not the only ones doing this work. I know people many places doing shamanic work know how to go into a site and are doing healing work for the land and doing remote work as well. So I'm, I'm, we're hoping that a lot of good ideas will come out of the conference. And then part of the work also is to produce a kind of handbook, Shamanism Without Borders handbook, 
which would be suggestions and guidelines and models of how to do this work. And we, we, we're we really going to have some kind of a handbook ready to give people at the conference. But the handbook is a work in progress, and we're hoping strongly that what we do at the conference will get into the handbook, so there'll be a, a revision of the handbook <laughs> almost immediately after mm-hmm. we give it out, because we're going to really put into it after the conference the things that we learn working together. So that's how it's going to be different. It, it, one of the lines from the flyer for this year's conference says these will be intense days of experiential shamanism. And, you know, my response to that is hallelujah. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yes, right. I mean, it is. It's beautiful. That's yeah, I mean, whole... we're going to go there and, and work. You know, it's yeah. not go to be criticize. Practitioners. I don't want to criticize the other model that we've been using because it's fine, too. But people can go to those conferences and just sit and listen, you know, for three right. days. Well, and we <laughs> don't want to criticize them because we've been teaching at them. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, we did a good and, job, but and we will, we'll this continue is really to do that, exciting. I'm sure. <laughs> right, but this is going to be very different. It really it's is different. It's very exciting. And yeah. in some ways, we're modeling what we're talking about. Um, we're We're going to be a team of people coming together from different places in the country and maybe the world. We've got some people coming from Mongolia, I believe. And we're going to go to sites that have suffered some kind of disruption of the normal life pattern and see what it is we can do. So in a way, we're modeling. We're becoming a model, not the only model, but a model, for how other people might be able to do this work in their own areas. And I also want to say, too, that and this is one of the reasons I wrote the email, is that it's not just about going into foreign countries. It's about doing this work even in your own backyard. And in effect, we are doing this work in Carol Proudfoot's backyard because she lives in Santa Cruz County. But you could go back to your own state and region and town and find places in the land that need some kind of shamanic tending. And maybe what we do at the conference could be a model or a set of ideas to inspire you to know what to do even in your own backyard or just a few miles from where you live. Well, and as as you've already expressed, there is so much to consider when one is moved to do this work and that, that, that desire to help is very sincere. And, you know, then there's all of these things to consider. So, so putting forward a model, it, for me, taking on other people's models, it helps me understand what questions to ask that I might not think to ask. And I'm really happy after I've asked them that I did because, you know, as you said, you, you have to discover what's present at the site. It may not be what we expect, what beings or life forms need tending, um, animals, plants, spirits, you know, his history of human spirits, who knows what probably things we don't even know what they're called anymore, at least not in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of it is really being able to build um, a template for what questions need to a- be asked even to begin. And sometimes you won't get an answer to some questions in some places, but it'll be a critical question in other places. So it'd be nice to have a little list and, mm-hmm. you know, a, a model for how do we approach this and sort of cover all the bases, you know, before we go in and and just jump in and and help because there's always this possibility of of and energetically at least of getting you know scraped knees and bumped heads yeah right that's right yeah the questions knowing the questions to ask is is important and i think we're also uh hoping that people will 
come to see that there there maybe is no one correct way to do shamanism. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of us, uh, when we've been trained or taught by particular methods or particular teachers, get the idea that this is the way you always have to do a soul retrieval. This is the way you mm-hmm. always have to do a psychopomp work. This is the way you always have to begin a circle or whatever. And, uh, you know, there are many ways to do these things. And some situations call for innovation. And I think we need to be willing to make mistakes and not mm-hmm. to freak out over this. We, our culture is, is is afraid of making mistakes and being sued and not being perfect and you know, we're just, our culture is just geared toward being the best, being perfect, never making a mistake. And there are a lot of situations where you're going to make mistakes. You're going to bump your head, as you said, and scrape your knee and maybe do the wrong thing. But you've learned, you know, we're human beings and we will make mistakes. But we, I don't think we should freak out over making a mistake. You know? Well, and it goes back to what you said in the beginning. This is shamanism. It's a path of mastery, which we, you know, spend a whole lifetime and, and, and move a tiny bit along that path. It's huge. Yeah, it, so, it is. So to bring that fear of making mistakes is just hobbling. Um, mm-hmm. You have to be, I mean, not, not careless or cavalier, no. but you have to be willing to put yourself out there. And, you know, as I always say, I just, you know, I learned it the hardest way possible first and then... <laughs> But, you know, that's another thing that you just reminded me of, uh, this phrase, shamanism without borders. It doesn't just mean political borders and, and nations either. It's about our own personal borders. Mm-hmm. And when we practice shamanism, we, uh, you know, over and over and over, we, we do tend to create borders and limitations on what we think we can do and what we can't do. And so the idea of shamanism without borders and boundaries is also meant to be a metaphor for how we work, that we should be able to look beyond our horizons and beyond our borders and and the things that we put on ourselves. And as Carol said uh, in one of her emails, is that we, we create our own borders and we create our own boundaries in places where we don't need to. So hopefully what the conference will do is to help us look farther and, and stretch ourselves and not be afraid of making a mistake and seeing if there's a different way of doing something. Well, I see these two things as being like two pieces of really big wisdom that I think are behind the shaping of this conference. And I, I, I just have enormous respect for you all for doing it. And one is exactly that, realizing, as you've just said, the metaphor in this work, the mirror in that, and that we can't presume to fix everybody uh, without fixing ourselves mm-hmm. and that yeah. that seeing that and spending the time together on Sunday to look at that instead of just assuming everybody will when they get home is is a beautiful piece of wisdom I think that is obviously behind the creation of this year's conference the other piece of wisdom I think is in choosing to go to place problematic places that don't involve necessarily human disaster so in such a large way, because we really complicate things, we <laughs> dead or alive, we really right. complicate things, you know, yeah. so to just, you know, try this out with natural disasters, not that there won't be human energies involved, but to, to, to run this first test drive through, it is a huge piece of wisdom as well. I think that there'll be so much more to learn, um, it, or, or it'll be clearer in a sense without a whole bunch of human, uh, we're just messy. Yeah, no. I, I that's exactly our, our thinking behind it too—to focus on just the natural places rather than to try to deal with uh, the, all the, the human messes. 
Well, Tom, I um, probably have to wrap this up here. I can't believe an hour has already gone by. Well, I, I, um, I want to make sure that people, I hope people are inspired to go to the conference this year. I think it sounds really exciting. And clearly, um, you know, the wisdom and the experience is, is behind it in the creation and presentation of it. It's not like you're all just going off on a wild hair or something. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really, no. I think it's going to be really beautiful. It's being held really well. Um, so uh, for those of you that missed it, the Society of Shamanic Practitioners website is shamansociety.org. And it's very easy to register through the site. That's the simplest way to do it. And Tom's website is riverdrum.com. Um, and my website is lastmaskcenter.org. Um, I wanted to close. I, I stole this um, quote that you shared in your email, actually, um, from the Mongolian shaman. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah, out of Shaman's Drum. It mm-hmm. just seemed um, really beautiful. And... Um, What he said is this, um, at the present time, the human race is out of touch with Mother Earth, Father Heaven, and the natural world. There is a great danger of fire, snowstorms, floods, and earthquakes. For this reason, the shamans of the earth need to work together to bring cleansing and healing to the earth and to do rituals together to restore balance. Because this cleansing and healing has not been done, The present state of the earth is causing many problems and illness. This is the great work that shamans are now required to do. Mm. That's a strong directive to us. It is. It's it's one I think we really need to take seriously. And I I believe that you all are at this conference. I think it will be a huge um, step forward for all of us and our ability to do that. Well, that's what we hope. So keep your fingers crossed and, and drum for us and say some prayers, and we'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> so thanks to you, Tom, <laughs> and all the people on the board um, for the Society of Shamanic Practitioners, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. I want to give thanks to my community, the Last Mask community, for their donations that allow us to be here today on the show. And I want to give thanks to the ancestors who have gone before us, who hold us well in their dreaming, to the earth below and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Um, Next week, our guest will be Stephen Bayer, and he's going to be talking about his new book, Singing to the Plants. This will be equally exciting, and we're going to talk about plant medicines and the relationship between shamanism and sorcery. So again, for you all, Society of Shamanic uh, practitioner's website is shamansociety.org. Rush right out, click your clicks, and register. It's going to be amazing. So thank you, Tom, and thank you, everyone. And join us again next week for Why Shamanism Now. 